I really believe that in this episode with my special guest, Adam Yasmin, who is a father of an almost six-year-old and also a digital wellness specialist, that you're going to hear things that are going to give you the permission you need for your digital wellness to just flow in a way that makes sense and it isn't so restrictive that it's nearly impossible to do, um, yet makes perfect sense. I don't even know another way to tell you this. And I know I'm being vague, but believe me, it's going to make sense at the end of this episode. My name is Giselle Beaumet, and you are listening to the Parenting Alchemy podcast. And at the Parenting Alchemy, I help parents to feel the confidence and the wholeness that they need as they're raising good human beings. And we do so through connection-based parenting and inner child self-healing techniques. So let's jump in because I think you're going to really enjoy the tips that you will receive to flow with your digital wellness. Adam, I'd love to hear your introduction and just tell me a little bit about what you do and a little bit about yourself. And I know you have an almost almost six-year-old. Um, so I'll just let you do your own introduction. Go ahead. Cool. Thank you, Giselle. And thanks for having me on your show. I'm honored to be one of the, the few dad voices that you have, and hopefully the first of many. Yeah. Um, so what do I do? Um, so I've just recently transitioned out of uh, UX design. I was freelancing as a UX designer simultaneous with becoming a first time parent. So the moment, mm. the moment I got, I, I trained in UX design, I also became a dad within a matter of weeks. Mm. So, so freelancing, um, has been, well, it really ended at the, at sort of the height of the pandemic. So, and in that space of pandemic existence and coming from my own background of befriending, um, uncertainty and challenging circumstances, I, found the Digital Wellness Institute and got certified as a digital wellness educator, speaker, expert, if you will, uh, and coach. And mm-hmm. So I felt like the most appropriate and responsible and helpful thing to do was not to continue building, you know, siloed uh, web portals so that credit card members can use their points to do so-and-so as, mm-hmm. you know, but rather to help people, and I mean people, individuals, fellow parents, families, even distributed organizations like distributed startups can begin to recreate a work-life balance or a tech-life balance in the, yeah. in the middle of a pandemic, which is you know not really going anywhere anytime soon. So on top of that... <laughs> I also host uh, a podcast myself called Wabi Sabi. Oh, uh, I love is, that name. <laughs> which is a deep, it's a deep conversation series. It's one of those like hour plus long conversations, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it is, it's an honest and unedited conversation series that ponders about life through the lens of impermanence and Wabi Sabi and, and excuse me, impermanence and imperfection, which is a nod to what Wabi Sabi 
is, which is many things, but one of them is it's a Japanese uh, aesthetic worldview that like focuses on imperfection and decay and raw, you know, sort of raw wood grain versus, you know, sleek MacBook, oh. uh, that kind of, just that kind of, um, just relishing in, in the fact that, you know, nothing is perfect and nothing really lasts forever. And so we can maybe, um, just appreciate more about the present moment or just appreciate, uh, beauty in its natural form as opposed to like highly constructed or fabricated beauty, so to speak. So it's the same. What is Wabi Sabi? It is the thing you experience when you walk into a forest and you're just seeing it's basically a pattern interrupt, right? Yeah. It's uh it is the experience of you're not you don't have rectangles and pixels and straight yeah, lines and, yeah. and, and 90 degree angles. It's just it's just, you know, nature in its, in its raw form. And so it's taking, it's, it's, it's taking a, a, a nod to that concept and having a series of conversations through that. And also, um, the last thing I do is, um, is I facilitate, um, tea ceremony, um, as an homage to what I've learned about uh, and enjoyed and um, benefited greatly from um, Asian tea culture, uh, mm. specifically Chinese and, tea, and Taiwanese tea culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've been a student of uh, of uh, of that tea culture for over a decade, and have mm. again in BC times was <laughs> uh, was host. I was I would host. Um, tea ceremony on site for events or weddings mm. or gatherings or salons, conversations and think tanks and, and, and arenas where people wanted to gather and have authentic connection free from intoxicants and free from alcohol or, mm-hmm. or drugs and that kind of thing. So, um, that is the third thing that I do uh, and doing so now just virtually has been really fascinating. Yeah, because um, it is it has become a way to have an authentic connection with someone over tea, even though we're both yeah. talking to our glowing rectangles. Yeah, um, but but it is it is a good space, and it is a space to keep us from just kind of mindlessly scrolling and consuming content and information or misinformation. So those are the three things that I do. Well, okay, I see a few things in common with this. As you're talking, I'm, I'm really wondering where did that deepness come from? I mean, obviously, like it seems there's a lot of deepness and awareness, like really in, deep inside of you. It did, were you always like that? Even as a kid, like where, how did, did all this come about for you? Yeah. This is this particular question. It can go several ways. The first answer I'll give you is that it did come from a place of deep inquiry and curiosity. Um, I've always been this sort of non-academic, non-school oriented, autodidact kind of self-learner. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's more about just noticing and being aware as opposed to tinkering per se. Mm-hmm. But I've also like in past lives, I've been, you know, I was a musician who was bent on like, I'm going to be a professional musician and mm-hmm. touring and recording. And so I was a working bass player and I experienced um, my fair share of some domestic and international performances and recording and performing and, and tasted that you know aspects of that lifestyle and by the time i was i guess 31 or maybe not yet 31 i realized that is not a sustainable lifestyle <laughs> um it it was fun yeah and and i really enjoyed you know many aspects of it but it didn't really feed me mm-hmm. um so, so that's one that's one answer to your question is that it, it does come from a place of deep curiosity and, and expressing myself creatively through music or through visual art, those kinds of things that I've, these kinds of soft skills that people acquire throughout mm-hmm. their life. But the deeper answer to your question is that it comes from a great place of, of parent wounding mm. and, and being deprived of a b c d e you know from my from my birth parents um i mean i'm talking about being like dealing with abandonment issues like when i Mm -hmm. was 12 um and then being from the age of 12 being raised by uh you know a mother who i mean to her credit is like a super mom you know was Mm -hmm. like i'm just gonna raise you two alone myself and my brother and my younger brother um but and then also realizing that that kind of that kind of dependency on mom was a there was a reveal that came like sort of later in my teenage years and beyond where i realized something is off and this kind of relating to one another just didn't feel nourishing and then i started to question like you know am i dealing with someone who um is has a um what's the word um you know someone who maybe who may who may have like you know their brain chemistry is a little bit off Mm -hmm. someone who may be um who may be bipolar or a narcissist or something something was really contentious you know for so long Mm. and so um as part of my own journey of of self-inquiry and focusing on the values that were important to me as an individual so basically like being kind to other people Mm-hmm. Because, because the people who were the most important to me and my, my parent, my, these arch- archetypally important people, you know, mom, dad, <clears throat> it's not that they were unkind. It's that they, they, they didn't deliver in my, mm-hmm. in my, in my perspective. And so that for me to turn around and want to be kind to other people, you know, basically that kind of like kindness is my religion, mm. um, is, was a way, for me to experience the world and experience like 
building relationships and alliances um, with people on terms that work better for me. And I mean, without, without going too deep into this, this is probably <laughs> worth, you know, this is worth like a whole nother conversation on a different episode or something. But I mean, I ended up after years of contentious um, relationship, like I ended up like estranging myself from my mm. mother who I realized who I realized was like the source of toxicity in my life. Yeah. Which is extremely taboo. And uh in this like basically as of this week, it was like around four years ago. And um, you know, continues to be uh both like standing in my truth and is also, you know, uh, a bit ambivalent and mm-hmm. for me for me always kind of thinking like, well I'd rather have a certain kind of utopian harmonious way of being in the world especially in terms of that you know deep relationship and yet it's untenable yeah i think it's it's hard from from the people in similar places that i've met is you know that's the right thing to do for yourself and yet you wish so much that you didn't have to, you know, that, that, that parent could just rise to what they need to do. hundred percent. And yet yeah. what's really crazy is that looking back at it as you realize as a parent, I realized that they were doing the best they could. Yeah. That was the best that they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you see like, whoa, there's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Now, how has that made you a different parent than, you know, than what you had? I mean, there's many, there's a few things to, to, to peel apart on that, on a question like that. I mean, first and foremost, in the beginning, I mean, when my daughter was born, there was this very conscious and subconscious uh trajectory this choice that i was always focused on which is i'm not going to disappear mm. i'm not going to disappear like i had been disappeared on mm-hmm. so this is like now this is this is uh, dad related stuff um i grew up like with i mean our dad would literally disappear and reappear on his own terms from a very early age. Um, and it was always like for business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, sometimes it's like he'd go out for milk and then not come back for mm. four days or two weeks, that kind of stuff. So that went on for a number of years until they ended their marriage. And then he disappeared for 10 years. So I had a 10 year gap of communication. Yeah. With him. So how does that look for me as a dad? Um, it was, Again, as a freelance designer, I was like, I'm going to try and work from home as often as I can. Mm. I'm going to try and physically be, physically and emotionally be present and available as much as I humanly can. Um, which, which, you know, as a freelancer has a cost. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so while I was able to be present, physically present and be emotionally available, you know, to my family. It also came at the cost of like, you know, oftentimes freelance life is obviously feast of famine. So 
just accrued accrued debt essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's sort of like the, that's a surface level uh, mm-hmm. answer to your question. I mean, there's, there's more, there is more depth to it and more nuance, but, um, it is really about, for me, it's about, about building a relationship with, I mean, with my daughter to the point where like, I am no mystery. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to present myself or be perceived as a mystery because that was the only thing that I got. Um, yeah yeah i find like a lot of times when we know what we didn't get as kids we're like oh you are gonna get that from me and um i know for me is i you know i often wonder like all right am i over compensating because mm. I didn't, you know, I, I, I want my kids to know, like for me with my parents, I didn't, I didn't have something to fall back on. You know, it's like once, once I left the home is sink or swim and, and leaving my mom that happened really early. So sink or swim. And so I always thought, all right, my kids, they're going to always know they will always come back home. Um, and in my mind, I kind of laugh sometimes. I'm like, oh boy, are they going to be like 50? And they're going to be like, <laughs> they're gonna be like, hey, you said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's because I, you know, like we owe, and, and the same thing, like with what you did, it's like, I will work from home. Doesn't matter about finances. We will make this happen. But like, it comes with us. What we didn't get, we're aware of, and we're going to make sure that our kids get. Um. And it's interesting, I think, with you, it's like that you you took all that deepness and and all that processing and you went in with it. And it's just been like a life of just always going inward and inquiring and then providing that service because you're doing that giving service through the tea and through the digital wellness to others. So the world gets to benefit, you know, from some of what you've learned along the way. Yeah. I mean, I've never actually heard it said to me out loud in a reflection like that, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I appreciate you calling that out. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in the digital wellness. Mm-hmm. I know for me, we had said earlier when we were chatting, um, how, I mean, I know for me, I could probably use some digital wellness. Uh, I use my phone primarily and I use it a lot for work primarily. Um, we're both on Clubhouse. And so Clubhouse is the one where I get to just do socially for myself. Uh, but the rest of the time is work. But where my mind normally goes is my kids digital wellness. Yeah. And you have all the knowledge. So I'd love to pick your brain mm-hmm. and just hear from you. Like, let's start first with the kids. Cause that's where, of course, as a parent, like most of my focus is for kids. What can parents do to set up healthy digital wellness for their kids? Just baseline stuff. Okay. So <laughs> it's a good, it's a good question. And, and to be fair, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on teens because I don't have a team. You know, my daughter mm-hmm. is, is not yet six. And so what, what we're grappling with is like, she wants to watch like all the programs and all the movies, which we love. We just, mm-hmm. now it's a matter of like, let's focus on this art project or let's, 
let's you know like we're in this like waldorf inspired you know mm. charter school here in la so it's like it's great that that the that whole kinder experience is like art projects and songs and movement um which is like you know the one suite of antidotes to to being stuck at home in a pandemic right um but and you know the things that we grapple with is like in a pandemic there's no babysitters Mm-hmm. so the ipad becomes a babysitter mm-hmm. you know for that for that hour or mm-hmm. that movie or that program or you know or that game or something so you know for parents it is it is something that should be a constant negotiation and a constant like state of reflecting on like what am how do i feel about so and so what am i observing about my kids needs and mm-hmm. and what they're doing and then you know what is the environment that you're creating at home you know if if you're dealing with uh teens at different ages who are you know likely what at 13 you know they're on social media which is what the minimum age and stuff like that so from 13 on or what from eighth grade on you know they have social media lives which are now on on uh you know on sort of high you know it's it's been intensified in a pandemic because we're all cloistered Mm -hmm. right we're all cloistered at home so you know there is this it seems like there is this need for parents to recognize that this is their social life Mm -hmm. We can't just go out and play because we're in a pandemic and, you know, I mean, it'll come soon, but for now we can't really do that. And so to put pressure on severely limiting usage, just because I think it's a better idea, right? As a parent may be more detrimental. And this comes from, again, what, how much, what's, what, what kinds of, conversations that you're having you know with your with your teens is there is there a way for you know again as parents maybe you know i don't have a teen yet so you, you got to mm-hmm. tell me but like but this you know, this also applies for even your ages um, yes yeah so like you know i understand that like it may not be comforting you know to like want to be you know best friends uh, you know, if, if your teen is like, I don't want to be best friends with my mom or dad. Like mm-hmm. I want my mom or dad to be at this kind of relationship and have these other kinds of relationships. And so like, because, because we're, because we're social mammals and we're, we're supposed to be having these, you know, different, different prioritized relationships. And so again, again, the, the issue is not the relating. The issue is, is social media and tech use or mm-hmm. overuse. There is, there is something, you know, there's being friends with someone as a teen. I remember being 12, 13, 14 and remembering back then reflecting on like what was important to me with my friends. What were the metrics of friendship? Right. So to now have that be like layered on top of like having, you know, all these different social media accounts, it becomes quickly, uh, dangerous to think about like well now 
my our friendship or our connection is now valued by these likes or these these little micro sort of dopamine yeah. hit actions, right? So I think <clears throat> without going too deep into trying to to analyze, you know, why we use social media at different ages, I think what's really important is to focus on um, what makes friends friends, like having time to connect or having time to like experience stuff together. So if you can, if you can focus your, <clears throat> your teens use on like having more FaceTime hangouts with their friends. Yeah. As opposed to like just being on TikTok, Right. Like mm-hmm. that would, that would be more beneficial because they're actually mm-hmm. having more sort of connected, authentic time with their friends. And then there's, you know, how we're relating to each other at home. Things that I like to offer to parents are like, you know, some kind of, I don't want to say hard rules, but just some rules in terms of like having phone free zones. The dining table is a phone free zone. Yes. The the bedroom is a phone free zone or like having being able to agree to that communally mm-hmm. <clears throat> instead of it being like laying down the law, like, mm-hmm. you know, because because what uh, if everybody has a smartphone and they're sitting at the table, we're just basically fubbing each other and fubbing yeah. is this act of, as you know, is this act of uh, um, literally being phys- physically being present next to someone, whether it's family or friend. But your your attention is is completely into your phone, so you're literally ignoring the person that you're with because you're on your phone. But you're but you are physically next to each other, and so it creates such a disconnect. So to prevent from fubbing, which is a serious issue, even in BC times, right? Yeah, um, you see that all the time. You see it in restaurants. People, yes, people table of five in a restaurant. Everybody's just like a zombie yeah. looking at their phones. So, um. So again, like sanctifying the dining table or sanctifying mm-hmm. uh, the couch or something like that, where it's like you guys can be mindful about like, cool, we're eating a meal together. We could do that mindfully and we can like tell jokes and like make each other laugh or just whatever, share stories, just have time to connect with each other. Even if that's an awkward thing to do, it'll become less awkward the more you do it. Um and then there's like this strange and difficult um, experience of like getting, you know, kids and teens to like move more mm-hmm. because we're in a pandemic, because it may not be safe outside mm-hmm. all the time, but just some kind of like, cool, let's go skateboarding. Cool. Yeah. You know, for us, it's like, you go scooting, I'm going to be on my skateboard. Like, and it's easy for me because my daughter's a monkey. She's, you know, barely six years old. Yeah. Um, so so it's again some some method of doing that just based on the resources and the bandwidth that we have as parents i mean some parents are working hardcore hours and they can't take their kid out to go around but like finding the ways to to be i mean it sounds so vague and pretentious to say just to be human with each other you know in some in some amounts of time let's go on a walk let's go on a hike let's or yes. like, let's, even if it's like, okay, you can't go to a house party. It's like, but you can, we can put on masks and we can go hang out with our friends outside. Yeah, It is, that is, there's plenty of research in terms of COVID yeah. to know that that is a safe thing to do. 
Yeah. Um, so summer's coming back. The beach is a great place to be. We were at the beach like all the time. I mean, yeah. both, both, <laughs> both my daughter and, and my partner, like their birthdays are like, you know, the middle of July. So it's just, it's nothing but beach. So, um, so thinking, thinking about stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, I think, I think limiting, uh, you know, screen time because we think it's bad or because we've read these things on the internet that like it's destroying <laughs> our teens. Yes. Like, there is, there's, it's, it's all, it's all propaganda. There's micro truths. Yes. There's, there is, there is some truth. We've watched the social dilemma. There, there is fact behind what's being said there. But, <clears throat> and there's a big but here. These companies aren't purely maleficent companies mm -hmm. they're what they're, what are they doing they're offering a service to to schedule your time for you mm -hmm. so it's up to us to reorient how we spend our time together mm -hmm. with our kids or ourselves self-care time on our devices while we're connected what we're doing if we're being productive or if we're watching movies all these it's really the responsibility comes on to us. And that is not a, it's not a popular thing to say right now because we're living in a pandemic and our lives are entirely spent on screens. Mm -hmm. But there are, you know, there are things that we can do. And again, it's, it's, it's how we're choosing to prioritize those things. Yeah. You know, because my daughter is not using social media, thankfully. <laughs> it's hard. I can imagine, I can only imagine how hard it is. We can do things like learn how to cook food and like bake yeah. cookies and yep. blah, blah, blah. And like art projects and like go to the park and all these things. Right. So it's a, I think, I think it's really about, um, uh, and not taking this, what I'm saying to an extreme, which is we're going to time box everything. Mm -hmm. We're going to time box the entire day, hour by hour so that we can't, there's no room to be creative. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I've always been a little bit allergic to like hardcore schedules, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think finding, again, it's about finding a balance that works for you, that works for your family, that is unique to your family. Yeah. It's not, it's also not useful as parents to look at like, well, they're not watching screens and all these things. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're strictly Montessori and they don't even allow like a, any yeah. screen at all. Like, I don't well, think that's Walter. useful. Well, or Waldorf, Waldorf, exactly. Right? Well, yeah, with Waldorf, well, it's like an underground. Like, do you do you have a TV? Yeah, well, yeah, is, I, I, I mean, have a TV. <laughs> that's yeah. That's what's funny about about. I mean, our 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 Kinder is is great. I mean, it's I mean, it's a first year public charter, mm, so okay. it's, it feels experimental. But it is Waldorf inspired. Okay, it's still a public school, but like, and their first year is in a pandemic doing distance learning Ooh. so it's yeah it oh, is yes it is hilarious <laughs> yes. but it's also like this is the best it could be you know if we're doing yeah. virtual kinder it's not you need to be in these four zoom calls between nine and two it's like no there's there's like a 45 minute morning zoom yeah which is song and which is song and movement and then there's like what they do is like here's a sample schedule here's all the supplies you guys figure out what works for you. Yeah. I like and that, that. That feels empowering, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to you need to fall in line to, and, and we don't do any dogma, any dogmatic stuff here. So 
I love what you are saying, like so much. I'm so excited about what you were saying with the digital wellness, because honestly, I've heard parents be so afraid of devices and they're like, it's crack, you know, for kids. And and I've done this research too, because when my 12 year old was seven, it was the first time that we got a device and we got him at the time, whatever the Nintendo Switch version was. Mm-hmm. Five years ago. And so I went and did so much research. And, you know, first of all, what I learned, and I don't know, actually, I've been curious if it has changed. What I learned was that to qualify as addictive, you know, like number of hours addictive, it was something like eight hours a day. And that they didn't want to do anything but be on their devices. Like they wouldn't even leave their houses. Like it was yeah. an extreme, but people were using that. For a kid who was maybe on their devices for like two hours, he's addicted. And I just think like, you got to be really careful with that word of the use addictive. But I feel like um, just like what you were saying, and I see it in my, in my kids, their social engagements are happening in their devices. They're having conversations with their friends. Um, My seven-year-old will get a, a Zoom going where they're reading books together while they're watching while they're on zoom and he's he started a pet club and i i put it in parentheses because it it was a pet club for about 10 minutes and then they all were what were playing games together you know like they were in the same game while they're doing zoom so it was very social active i feel like media can be and devices sometimes are are like the rock music of the of the eighties and nineties. I don't, I don't know if you remember, or I don't even know if you were a, a teen. No, I, I was, I was, okay. I mean, I was a teen in the nineties, but I was an eighties okay. kid. So like, okay. So where rock music was satanic, you know, and it was yeah. evil. And I yeah. feel like that's what media is seen as now. I mean, let me, let me drop, let me drop a bomb here for a second. And I think you're going to agree with me where it's like those of us who were raised in the eighties, like being kids in the eighties and stuff. Look, we were raised on like, they, you know, parents turn the TV on and like, that's what we had. <laughs> and we're sitting like basically zombies yeah. watching <laughs> television, and watching television <laughs> for hours. Yes. And that was our entertainment. And that was also our babysitter at times. Right. So yeah. for us, for us who experienced that, it, it, I understand psychologically, especially because of the internet. And it's like you read one WebMD article and you're like, oh shit, I have, yeah, I'm, I'm suffering from this, right? Or I'm, uh, you know, I'm dealing with, with this, uh, ailment. It, it seems like a natural response to then to be a kid of the eighties to then be afraid of screens mm. because we were programmed by by BS TV and, and commercials yeah. and stuff. Put on the hold on, like put the brakes on, like let's <laughs> let's think about this critically. Let's use some critical thinking as parents, yeah, and realize how much control we have over over the content, what it is, how yeah. long we can watch it. I mean, you can set these. I mean, these devices, you know, iOS or iPad OS has really great tools for parents mm-hmm. in terms of using screen time. If that's an issue, if that is a thing for you as a parent, you can use, you can create those limits mm-hmm. on, on times, time spent. But there's also like, again, um, in BC times, 
you know, American Pediatric Association was like, you know, you cannot have your child spend more than one hour a day on screens. Hello, we're living in a pandemic now. Like, let's let's uh, let's actually think not about the time spent. Let's not think about quantity. We got to think about quality. Yeah. And yeah. this even goes goes into us as parents. You and I met in Clubhouse. We're spending mm-hmm. hours on Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And then I realized my screen time has gone up significantly. But do I feel worse? No, I'm feeling better because of the experience oh, I'm taking away from Clubhouse. I love that right? example. <laughs> so so again, we can't we can't just, you know, it's like we love generating metrics, but then we f- lose our shit over like what the metrics are saying. And yeah. then we're using that as like as basically the 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 motivation to like make decisions and do things but it's like no you have to take a take a take a minute or take yeah. an hour or whatever think about it critically and reflect on like your kid as a 7 year old used the screen to have an authentic play date with their friend yeah and that is that is not like a that is not the equivalent of like you know being a zombie looking at a screen mhm um So, you know, that is something to take into account. And like, this is like new data and new research is probably being done as we speak Yeah. to constantly need to update on, you know, what is, what is within an okay boundary and then what is, what is excessive. Again, I don't want to use the word addictive either because, you know, if we, if we, if we keep using the word addictive, then we imply that like tech is determinant and tech is evil, which yes. is just, it just sounds, people have been doing that forever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Print, printing books is evil. The newspapers are evil. The radio is, it's like, it, it's, this is, this is old news. You know, people, yeah. people being afraid of new technology. Um, so, I mean, you've seen, I mean, there's this hilarious picture. It's like a meme. That's just a photograph of like a before before and after it's like what here's what distraction looked like you know before smartphones everybody's reading a newspaper out in public they're not talking to each other and versus <laughs> today everybody's on a smartphone and not talking to each other right yes yes i love that because yeah we probably are painting a picture in our minds that before we all were talking to each other and yeah. having conversations and you know were we you know uh, and i also love one other thing you said that I do in my house, I feel very much like, all right, this is definitely going to continue is the, the kitchen table is a no device zone. And like, and, and when you're eating, you have to focus on your food and the texture and then the chewing and then talking to each other and what's great about that. And I'm, I'm definitely um, relaxed when it comes to the media because I see it in a, in real life, my kids can go on a two, three mile hike and yet they're media kids. They can have intriguing, insightful. I'm looking at my kitchen table right now, intriguing, insightful, deep conversations with each other where I'm, I'm in the kitchen doing dishes and they're having these deep discussions like my, my teenagers. Um, and they're media kids, you know? So, um, and I know that that kind of social engagement that happens with technology actually improves, can improve children's grade in school, you know, which I see, I see for my kids, 
they're all above grade level. And I'm not saying no media did that. I'm just saying that there are some benefits to it. And I love that you said, Hey, you know, our, <laughs> you call this out. You called out the BS of the parents who are like, no media. Like, where did you sit uh, every Saturday morning? <laughs> we were watching. <laughs> Dude, we were, yeah, TV. we were. <laughs> Even even before the eighties, and when I'm an eighties kid, but like even before the eighties, and yeah. kids were, were plunked down in front of TV and just fed whatever the TV decided yeah. to feed you. And so, we have a lot more control. Yeah. Like we have more, and we have more. choice. We have yes. choice too. Yeah. So man, I love everything you said. Like that was so good. Okay, so. Where can parents find your information if they want more of what you have to offer? Find me on Instagram at Adam Yasmin underscore. Find me on my website. I have a calendar there where I invite people to book a free 30-minute consult conversation because I'm all about conversations and building relationships. My website is adamyasmin.com. A-D-A-M-Y-A-S-M-I-N.com. Find me on Clubhouse. Um, that's really about it. I don't really have other social media accounts. I guess I have a LinkedIn page. If you want to find yeah. me, yeah, that's that's kind of how my LinkedIn <laughs> is. I, I mean, it's up yeah. there. <laughs> it's there. I'll check it once a week, but I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. I'm so glad that we got to do this. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, you have so much information. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of info. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's just, I feel like we yeah. just got to a tip of it. Like I feel this like scratching, one, scratching the yes, surface. Yeah. One yeah. could literally spend a deep day just trying to get that knowledge and <laughs> um, like tell me your things. So thank you.